to be with y'all today and to return and bring us again to God and his word. We're going to be looking at Psalm 139, so I'd invite you to be turning there. Um, but as you're turning there, I appreciate, John, you mentioning praying for the work that I get to do at uh, NC State and Meredith, and I would appreciate your prayers. We're uh, through the beginning gauntlet of the semester, which involves probably about 1,500 snow cones, a lot of popsicles, pickleball, and all sorts of ways to connect and engage with students. But it was profitable. We've been able to see students come out to RUF that don't know Jesus and hear the gospel and see students that have come to campus as Christians and are looking for a place to fellowship and to grow. And so it's been neat to have small group Bible studies with our freshmen and, and see new people that want to learn and follow Jesus, but also have encouraging conversations with people who want to understand who this Jesus is that we worship. So please do be in prayer for us. But what I'd like to do over the next four times that I gather is go deep down into Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a psalm of David that he wrote, and there's four stanzas, and each of these stanzas is a reflection on some aspect of God, some aspect of his character. And so I could do it as one really long sermon, but I don't think you'll want to be here for two hours. And so I thought it would be better to break it down and reflect on each stanza with a little bit more depth. And what I like about this particular psalm, um, and we see this generally in the psalms, is the way that that the psalmist, and David here in particular, takes the information that he knows about God and he turns it into meditation, reflecting deeply about what he knows until it leads to exaltation, until it leads to praise. And this is what it looks like for us as Christians to engage well with God. That God isn't just some data that we leave out there, but the knowledge that we have is something that we should take and reflect and meditate, stew and chew on it until it moves our heart into worship as we see his glory. And so this psalm is a, a good example for us of seeing someone do that, uh, helping us to learn God's character in a way that isn't just bare information, but something that moves us to exaltation. And so today, as we look at the, this psalm, I'm going to read the whole psalm, but we're going to focus just on the first six verses with this theme, knowing God knows you, knowing God knows you. But hear now the word of our Lord, Psalm 139. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If you would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. It is good and right for us to pray that he might help us to understand it. Please join me in prayer. God, we thank you that you do search us and know us, but that you also help us to search you and know you. And so even as we gather here under your word, we thank you that your spirit is with us to lead us into knowledge of your word. And we do pray that we would leave here with exultation in our heart, having seen and known more who you are. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. As David starts this psalm, it's important to see that he starts with that phrase, O Lord. In fact, the very first word in this psalm is just Lord, which in my translation and many of yours is all caps, which most of you know and remember means that that isn't just the word Lord, but is actually the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah, I am. And David starts with that because that name of God is an important reminder to David and to those that are hearing this song that he's singing to them that their God is a God who is a relational God. God wanted his people to know him. And so when he showed up to Moses to begin the process of rescuing his people from the land of Egypt, he reveals to Moses his name, Yahweh. I am who I am. And he does this so that, that Moses could teach the people who it was that was rescuing them. Because God had a desire not just to rescue his people to help them, but to rescue his people to bring them into a relationship with him. To not just rescue this people to help them out of a tough place, but to bring those people into the wilderness and ultimately into the promised land so that they could have a relationship with them. Just as he promised to Abraham that I will be your God and you will be my people, God had a desire for his people, the nation of Israel, to know and understand who he was and be brought into a relationship with him. And so when David starts this psalm with that phrase, Oh Lord, what he's doing is reminding the people that are listening that we have a God who reveals himself to us, who gives us his name so that way we can know him and that we can understand him. 
And then David throughout this psalm is living that out as he thinks about God, as he's meditating on what he knows about God from his word and from from creation. He's taking that knowledge and making it relational. He's taking that knowledge and he's thinking about what does it mean that, that I know this about God? And when you love something, you want to know it more. When you love something, you, you want to study it. You want to get to know it like an entomologist who's fascinated with a certain beetle and can dedicate his whole life to, to understanding just this one small aspect of the multitude of beetles that exist on this world. Or like someone who's a college football fan and can spend hours and hours on different discussion boards reading about recruiting. When you love something, you want to study it. You want to know it. The lover seeks knowledge of her beloved. The worshiper seeks to become lost in the glory of the object of adoration. And David in this psalm is doing that. He's reflecting on God, considering his character, considering his nature, considering what this God is like because he has this love with God that calls him to reflect deeply on who he is. And that's why he ends up where he does in verse 6 where he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. As David begins to delve down deep into that knowledge of God, it leads him to that place of awe, leads him to that place of wonder, leads him to that place of saying, You are beyond me. You are above me. I see it and I cry glory. You know, that's what we do when we gather here week by week. We gather here week by week, not to fill our eyes with us, but to fill our eyes with him, to sing, to pray, to learn from his word until our hearts cry out glory as we think and reflect upon the God who has revealed himself to us. And he wants us to know him. That's why he gives us his name. He wants us to know him. That's why he comes and reveals himself to us. And so David shows us what we do with a God who gives us his name, a God who reveals himself to us. We study him. We reflect on him. We want to get to know him deeply. And we find through that a sense of his glory. But the fascinating thing to me about the way that David starts this process of of studying and thinking and reflecting upon the nature of God is to almost flip it in an ironic way and say, the beautiful, remarkable thing that I see and I know and I understand as I search out about God is that he is seeking to know me, that he is searching to understand me. And so he says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. David finds a surprise that the God that he seeks to know is just as if not more intentionally seeking to know David. And I think this is helpful because it helps frame for us the understanding of what a worshipful relationship with God looks like. You can think about it this way. What's the difference between a crush and a creep? It's a little odd, but I think you'll understand if you follow this. Let's say that there's a person who's at a coffee house and they're sitting there having their their morning latte and and she looks up and she sees this attractive young man who's next to her and he, he happens to be reading a book that she likes. 
And so she strikes up a conversation. And as that conversation goes, they, they find different points of connection. And that, that conversation gets deeper and deeper as they begin to talk about their, their life, their, their dreams, their hopes, their pains. And as they do that, they, they want to know more. And so even though they have to go their separate ways at the end, they exchange their numbers so that they can continue to get to know each other. That's a crush. But think about it from a one-sided perspective. Let's say that there's someone that's following you around from a distance, watching where you go, when you go it, trying to get information about you, taking notes about you, taking pictures of you without your permission, going on your Instagram or Facebook and screenshotting it and printing it out. What is that? That's creepy. Call the police. But isn't that both somebody wanting to understand and gain a sense of knowledge? But there's a huge difference between those two, isn't there? Why? Because there's a relationship involved in the first. There's a, a, an invitation and a request, a, a back and a forth, a desire for you to understand this person that's the object of your love, but this also desire for them to understand you and know you. And David says that the beautiful thing about this God that reveals himself to us is it's not this one-sided relationship, but that he also wants to understand us and have a deep relationship with us. That yes, here I am searching and knowing God, but yet he is also there searching and knowing me. And David marvels that the God who he can get lost in as he thinks about his glory finds David just as compelling, if not more so. And so he says about God, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you search out my path and my lying down. There he says, God, you know everything that I have done. You've, you've watched my ways with a sense of a, like a, a parent who watches their child grow up. You've, you've known everything that I've done. He uses a mirrorism, a way that you talk about two opposites to describe everything in between and saying that you see when I sit down, you see when I rise up, you see my path that I walk on and you see my lying down, you know every aspect of my life, everything that I've ever done. He's a God who sees and knows every action in our life. He studies us like that entomologist studying a bug, but not out of a sense of detachment, but with that parent's heart of loving to watch something that you treasure move about in life. And David said, it isn't just the actions that I do, but it's even the things that I think. So he says, you discern my thoughts from afar. You're acquainted with all my ways. It's not just that God has this exterior knowledge of us, but he gets down into the depths of who we are. I have a leak. I have a leak that is somewhere between my first and second floor, which makes it really hard to know where that leak is coming from. And so I went and I bought an endoscope, which is a really cool tool eh, to have, but it's also helpful. And what it is, is it's a camera that's attached to this really long cable that, that has a screen at the end of it. And so you can take that camera and you can stick it in hard to reach places and work it up until you can finally find what you're trying to see deep in the bowels of your house. David is saying that God you have that kind of depth of knowledge of me. 
that as you search me, as you know me, it's like you're getting down into the bowels of my life, getting down into the essence of me so that you discern my thoughts from afar, the things that I'm thinking you see, you understand. But it isn't even just the conscious thoughts of what I have in my mind, but even the subconscious things that lead me, direct me. You are acquainted with all my ways. David sees that God has a depth of knowledge to him that goes down to the bowels of who he is and that that he is doing this in a way that is searching and knowing, trying to understand or get to the very essence of David. Think about the compelling beauty of that. Think about the way that that speaks to you of the tenderness that God must have for you, that God knows every single thought that you've ever had, every single longing that you've ever felt, every single pain that you have ever endured. So that even when you were a toddler and you fell and you hurt your knee and you felt in some sense for the first time the the pain of this world, God knows that thought, though you may not remember it. He may remember what you don't remember, things like the, the comfort and presence of being held as a small child by a parent that you loved, the joy that you felt when you held your own child. He knows every pain every sorrow, every joy. And he even knows the thoughts that are yet to come. As David says in verse 4, even before a word is in my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Or even as he says in verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The pains that are yet to come and the joys that you don't even know yet, you will experience. He knows them. And what that gives to us is the remarkable gift of feeling fully seen and fully known. Because isn't that what so much of us longs for? That there's pains that have existed in our life that we don't feel like anyone ever gets, but yet we have a God who sees those pains and knows them even better than we do. So much of what hurts us is we feel misunderstood at times by people that are around us or close to us, but we have a God that doesn't misunderstand us but gets us better than we even get ourselves. So often we wonder, do we matter? Does anyone even see what I'm trying to do? Does anyone even see what I'm caring about? And we have a God who says, I see, I know. Do you remember what is the first time that God is named in the Bible by somebody? It was Hagar, Hagar the servant, who was cast out by Sarah because she was jealous of the problems she created by giving her handmaid to Abraham to bring about a child. Hagar was kicked out and was alone, was on the verge of death when God appears and speaks to her and he saw her in her hardship. He saw her in her sadness. He saw her when she was alone 
and he goes to her and she says, you are Elroy, you are the God who sees. She found comfort because this lowly servant that was kicked out to die had a God who came to her, knowing her pain, her sorrow, to be with her there. He is a God who sees, and David says, this is glorious. This is marvelous to me to think about a God who is like this. But it's not just this sense of comfort. It's in a sense of awe and wonder where he says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful me. It is high and I cannot attain it. It's a remarkable intimacy to think that there's someone who knows you that deeply, but it's a tremendous moment of glory when you stop and think that he knows everyone like he knows every single creature on this world that intimately. Eight billion or so people. He knows every thought, every story, every pain, every joy, every sadness. He knows it all. And then multiply that backwards by every person that's existed and forwards to everyone that will exist. And he knows them all that deeply. And not just humans, but every pig and pigeon, every gnat and narwhal. He knows that intimately. And David says, glory, you are a God who sees, you are a God who knows the intricacy and the depths of your creatures. He's not just some disinterested, deistic God that kind of created a system and left it, but he is like a lover who wants to see and to know all of his creatures. And David says, I can't get my mind around what that's like. It is high. I cannot attain it. And what this does for us is it comforts us deeply to know that we have a God who is close and intimate with us, that he knows every aspect of us. It's comforting to us in, in life when at times we wonder, is, is this thing that is good that I'm doing, is it going to be seen? Is, is this way that I, I stop and I pick up a piece of trash and I put it in the trash can because I love God's world and I love my city or this anonymous gift that I give to someone or, or the way that I've been faithfully praying for someone, that all those things that seem, does anyone really matter? God says, yes, I see it. It matters to me. I know it. But in a way, it's also convicting to think about the way that God knows every thought, every action that we've done, the things that we've done in darkness that we think were hidden. He has seen. He has known. It can be convicting. It can be comforting. But ultimately, it is a beautiful gift to us if we have that knowledge that it is not this disembodied information, but God's knowing of us is out of love. Think about it this way. I see this on, on Facebook probably like every few months. Someone posts on here that this note to Facebook that because they posted on this, Facebook is not allowed to use their pictures, their knowledge, and someone will post, well, that doesn't really help. But what they're doing is they're trying to say, I don't want this organization to have a knowledge of me that isn't to my benefit, that isn't to my good. What does God do with his knowledge of you? Look at verse 5. David says, you hem me behind, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. How does that strike you? You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. That can feel 
suffocating, can't it? Hemmed in, trapped, behind and before. A hand is laid on David. Is that suffocating? Is God using his knowledge to control, to trap David? Or is this comforting? To think that there is someone that knows you so deeply that they lead you exactly where you need to go. You may know the catechism question that um, answers the question, what is God's providence? What is God's desire for his creature? And the the beautiful answer of this catechism to that question is, is God's providence is his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. And what that question is saying is that, that where we see, in a sense, God's most holy nature, where we see his most wise action, is in the way that he comes into our life and guides us exactly where we need to go. See, as David is reflecting upon this knowledge, it, it could lead him to the sense of fear because it's the sense that God could control me with all this knowledge, but it doesn't. It creates a sense of comfort to think that, that this one who knows me best is leading me exactly in the way that I need to go. And that the hand that is laid on me is a fatherly hand guiding me exactly in the steps that he knows I need to take. The hemming that he does to me is not a hemming to get me away from who I am, but to lead me exactly where I need to go because of who I am. A wise life is a wife that is lived more out of God's wisdom of us than out of our own understanding of us. This is what we see in the book of Proverbs where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You see, that's what the author of Proverbs is saying is is that, that you don't know enough about yourself to lead yourself well. But wouldn't it be great if there was someone who knew you so deeply knew you so intimately that they would lead you exactly where you would want to go if you could know what that would look like. The author of the Proverbs is, is in a sense, channeling this understanding of God that David is reflecting on here and says, because you know me so much, I can trust how you're leading me. Because you know my heart better than I do. I don't have to worry about trying to understand my heart, but I can trust that you will lead me to my heart. God reveals you to you, often in the way that he leads you with his gentle hand of providence. And in a most holy and a most wise way, guides us out of a depth of knowledge of what we are like, of what we long for, of what pain we've experienced, what places that we grow in. So that when you get to heaven, the things that perhaps you are dreading now, the places of pain and hurt that you're experiencing now, are gonna be things that in heaven, you see that God in his goodness allowed you to pass through that valley of the shadow of death. 
because he was leading you through that to a place where he would anoint your head with oil, to a place of rest, to a place of joy, to a place of comfort. But how do we know that this is true for us? It's, we know this is true for us because we, we see this embodied in the, the great example of what a life looks like filled with a heart of meditation and exaltation on God in the life of Jesus. Because Jesus himself had to live this very way. Jesus himself had to learn about God. So we see him in the synagogue studying and learning and engaging with people. He had to come to understand who he was through the scriptures. He had to come to understand who God was through the scriptures and to to take it down deep into his heart so that ultimately he could follow God wherever God would lead him. And we see this most clearly in the cross, the cross that as Jesus sees on the horizon, feels anxious, uncertain. And he says, is there any other way? But not my will, but yours be done. Do you see what Jesus says there? He's he's saying, lead me. Hem me in behind before. I trust you with my heart and my life more than I trust myself. Jesus in his humanity is saying, you know me better than I know me. And so he followed the Father's hand to the cross. And Jesus went through that for us so that he could also go through this life with us. And this is how we know that his providence is always going to be for our good. How his his knowing for us is always for our good. Because he on that cross put onto Jesus all those things that we did in darkness. All those things that we did in secret. All those things that convict us when we think that God knows it. And put them on Jesus so that he wouldn't have to remember them against us. He put them on Jesus so that he could forget those things and only know and see that which is good, that which is glorious, that which is lovely in us as his people. He allowed his son to die so that whatever could be between his delightful knowledge of us and ourselves could be removed completely. And so as he studies us and sees us, even in the dark places, he always does it with the heart of one who says, this is my beloved. And there's never a moment where he says, oh, I'm getting tired of them. I'm getting frustrated with them. I don't want to know them anymore. And we've all felt that with people we love, with spouses, with children, with friends where you see aspects of their life that you're like, I don't know if I want to know them anymore. But God never has that with you because Christ took that onto himself for you. And David has a sense of joy and delight, knowing that God can know him that way. And so he even invites at the end of the psalm, more knowledge, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He's not scared of God's knowing him because he knows of God's grace. And so he says, know me more. 
And this is the, the beautiful thing that happens, that as we see that God sees us, as we see that God knows us, it pulls us right back to him and say, know me more and I want to know you more. Just like that couple in the coffee shop, knowledge feeds love and that love craves more knowledge. David doesn't hide from God. He wants God to know him. And David doesn't want God to hide from him. He wants to know him. And the cross helps us to see this reality. It's one that we can all have. Not having to hide from God because he hid his face from his son. But knowing that everything that God brings into our life must be for good because he gave his son for us. There's a gift that comes to us by knowing that God knows us. That we can live this life feeling seen by the God who sees. And we can live this life with confidence that we have a hand of a heavenly father leading us in the way that we should go with a tenderness and an affection that flows from a devotion to us. In all our life, we can have joy as we reflect at the God who created this universe, the God who orders the galaxies, the God who rises kingdoms and causes them to fall, wants to know you, finds you marvelous, finds you wonderful, that you are his creature that he delights to see. You are his beloved that he delights to love, that you are his child that he loves to watch because you bring him joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your knowledge of us and the way that it can fill our heart with thankfulness that you treasure us. Help it to lead us to treasure you. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.